Be merry, sweet lord. It's the Review a New Podcast. I'm DJ. I'm Evan. And this is the podcast where we typically look back at the movies of our favorite but imperfect filmmakers and talk about their work from a modern list. But today we have a special Kofi request from Dr. Goatman. That's right. Thank you once again, Dr. Goatman, coming through with the uh, very interesting movie requests. Dr. Goatman has requested uh, The Green Knight for us to review from this year. Uh, thank you so much for your request. And if you'd like to request something, uh, take advantage now because for the rest of the month we'll be having the Black November sale where everything is going to be at a reduced price. That's right. Right, uh, movie requests are only going to be forty for our request. Uh, 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 music video requests are going to be sixty dollars for a request, and uh, it's going to be thirty dollars for uh, Twitch stream requests, where I will uh, stream an album that you want me to listen to live, or uh, do a best of a certain artist, where I'll like you know of my own time put together a list of like the best of a certain artist that you throw at me. So yeah, uh, hurry while the slots are left because the album requests went. Quick as hell, so <laughs> who knows uh, how many will be left by the time you get there. So, so he- he- head-, head down now. What are you waiting for? Get with it. Act like you want it. Uh, but yeah, let's get into this request. So yeah, The Green Knight uh, starring yeah. Dev Patel. Evan, how did this movie strike you? First of all, early Christmas movie, by the way. That, that-, that threw me off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's It's funny because it's... Like, it didn't occur to me to think of it as a Christmas movie, but it it kind of is. I mean, it takes place around two Christmases. Um, It's double Christmas. Yeah, I love love this movie. I was really excited that somebody requested it because uh, I had watched it when it first came out and immediately wanted to talk about it. I was on the Reddit. I was like... (laughs) I just sounded like such a boomer. I was on the Reddit. I was on the subreddit for like, (laughs) I was on the Reddit, but no, I was just, I wanted to talk about this immediately. And, um, and so I'm really excited to have an excuse to rewatch it. And I actually read this time around, I read the original poem, uh, Sir Garwin and the Green Knight. Uh, so I could talk about that. And, um, well, I read a translation. I did not read the original middle English. Uh, but, um, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm very excited to, to talk about this. I, I thought that, um, the first time around I was just sort of bowled over by how amazingly, uh, the, the aesthetic of the movie is incredible. Yeah, the, the design's quality. incredible. Oh my goodness. Yeah. It's, the way it puts you in that world. Good Lord. Yeah. It's like very, it's riveting. There are so many just really intense, uh, emotional moments. And the second time around, I still loved it. But I was able to get a little bit more distance and notice some things and think about some things that mm. the first time I'd just been sort of gobsmacked going through it. Right, right. Uh, yeah, so so a lot of fun, a lot of fun. Yeah, uh, starting off, so like you, you, you did more of the deep digging, it, it seems like. So I, I kind of was like, okay, let me, let me sit back and just absorb this one and just see how it hits me as a layman. And then you're going to be the person who actually like dug through and like saw what the fuck was going on with all of this movie. Yeah, the first time you watch this movie, you, you, this movie, you have to watch at least twice if you're going to like yeah. have anything other than I, I don't know you'll probably have some some articulate thoughts but for me if like the first time i saw it i was just like what yeah yeah what is what and, and it's like it's so like a a very languid sort of like scenes play out like there's long scenes of him like walking places but it never feels like boring in that way of um what was that one movie so, some director from the mid 2000s 
was like, oh, I need to make a serious movie called Jerry where it's just people walking for 90 minutes and, like, the point is that the journey of them walking is the important, or something like that, where it's just like, oh, but, who, I, but who actually wants to yeah, watch that, right? I, I, I missed that one. But yeah, no, yeah. it's not boring. The score is incredible, too, in addition mm-hmm. to being the visually amazing. The sparseness of how it's used is so great. The yeah. music is so good. There's so much, like, medieval choral music um, mm. that's just used to incredible effect. There's lots of different kinds. Really, um, yeah, so so the there's always something happening. Even when he's just wandering around a field, there's something really interesting happening with the soundscape, with the music, with the lighting. And then Dev Patel is just great. Like his, yeah. like I, okay, I'll get my thirst corner out of the way and just say <laughs> Dev Patel. Like, he is that like, guy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there's I don't think there's even a way to really do a, a thirst corner because it would just be the whole movie. He's the yeah. center of the movie. And I could just well, look at his face looking confused. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's he's fantastic to look at regardless. Yeah, and, and so. I, it took me a second to realize, uh, uh, like, who, it was like, David Tell, where do I know that name? And I know it like he was in Slumdog Millionaire and some other movie. If you look at the pictures of him when he's younger, like he looks like this, like, you know, skinny. like, like Yeah. Like he looks he looks like a skinny little dork. And now he's just beautiful. In this movie, he looks like a goddamn fucking Adam Driver, like fucking, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, he he looks beautiful. And and like, um, dude, load the fuck He's, up <laughs> yeah it's it's interesting so you kind of mentioned like the the casting of the movie is very racially diverse like even the background characters which is is great and it's um part of what makes the the movie visually so superior to your sort of like i feel like this movie could have been your really like generic you know yeah. castle night on a quest and, and yeah she- Right, and and the visual palette of it's very different, and also having a racially diverse cast, having a racially diverse background cast, is is part of that because, you know, also I mean, you know, there's going to be some like white geeks. Oh, I saw it too. I saw it, King Arthur. Yeah, I saw someone coming out of the woodwork talking out their mouth like, "Oh, he's Indian. He's not supposed to do these parts." I was just like. But if you believe it, you believe it. Like that's what this is supposed to be about, right? This fucking film, which. Also, like, okay, so I just read the poem. The poem was, first of all, written in the 14th century, but it's uh, but it's about Arthurian time, which was, you know, around, um, it was post-Roman conquest, right? Mm-hmm. So it's explicitly Christian, meaning it's explicitly Roman. Mm-hmm. The Roman Empire, guys, was racially diverse. Yeah. There were lots of different types of people. Because they were conquering a bunch of motherfuckers. (laughs) Now, I'm not saying that Morgan Le Fay was definitely an Indian lady, but I'm just saying that getting mad because you see people who aren't pasty white in an Arthurian thing is just, it's stupid for a lot of reasons. Like, if you want to get into the historicity, like, yeah, it's Roman. The Roman Empire was racially diverse. People ended up all over the world for th- have ended up all over the world for thousands of years. But also, it's a magical Arthurian legend story. It's yeah. not historical fiction. We're not talking about like a movie about the Crusades here, where like ethnicity would be pretty important. Right. Right. Um, but it's like, yeah, yeah it's the thing of like, does he look the part? Yes, then let's go. Like, because he looks yeah, the part. Yeah, and it, and it is also like, <laughs> it's not, um, 
it's not colorblind. It's not like uh, it's not like Brandy Cinderella where you've got like right. a white guy and a black lady and they have an Asian son. You know, it's it's um, like he no, you know he's South he, Asian and his yeah he's, his, his mother is played by a South Asian actor also yeah and he's and, the niece. Of, I mean, he's the nephew of the king, and it's one of those things where it's just like oh, I mean, it could be possible that that not, they're not necessarily of the same like yeah uh, right because Morgan Le Fay yeah. is Arthur's half sister. Yeah, yeah. There have been so many movies made about sort of medieval knights and adventures and blah 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 right how's this gonna and stick out yeah there is there is a specific visual palette and a specific tone that you have and a specific um and i think you know tonally and it's interesting because i i read the i read the poem and the tone of the poem is so different the tone of the poem is like almost like a Monty Python sketch. It's just like very goofy and rowdy and cheerful. And, oh, interesting. Um, and, and I think, you know, what we tend to expect from movies like this, from medieval Arthurian movies, is either the sort of almost quasi-Monty Python-esque, like, goofy, rowdy, mead hall, noisy, everybody, chit-chat, and har-har-har, and then just sloshing the beer and all that, mm. or... Um, like super grim, dark, and it's all gritty. Yeah. And it's this, this is and yeah, monsters. yeah. You're gonna see this and on this the BBC, is... and it's gonna be super serious. Yeah, <laughs> right. And this is neither of those. It's like this very, it's solemn, but not in this sort of very plain one note, like gray, gritty, it, gritty, it's gritty. Human. Way. It's, it's human about it. Yeah, like it's human about it, and it's very vivid, and it's very strange. Yeah, but like, and... but you're right when you point out like, because there are moments of comedy in the throughout, but they're not like they're not big uh, funny moments played for laughs. They're like very, they're very human. Last perfect example is the one where he's like been traveling for such a long time, and then he finally like finds a house, and he like knocks on the door, and like kind of like you know doesn't he doesn't hear anyone, so he just kind of like opens it up, and then you know someone goes like welcome friend, you know, so it's like okay. This is someone who's going to be nice to me. Good. And they just falls Like, after all of that, like, traveling, you can, like, you feel the humanity in him, like, falling and resting. Like, okay, good. I can just stop yeah. for a second. You know? There, yeah. There, there are also some really funny moments with St. Winifred, which I saw one reviewer kind of complaining about and saying that it was jarring or it felt too modern, but I thought it was was very funny. Why, 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 um, why did they say it was character... too modern? Yeah, what's, what's up with She that? says something. Well, she sounds like... She talks like a millennial. Like, you know, she says something like, why would you say that to me? Why would you ever say that to me? And it's like, yeah, it does, but it's funny. I mean, and another character says the word okay at some point, which I didn't notice, but it's like, <laughs> you know, but again, we're talking about magic. It's a po it's a movie that the characters are speaking modern English so we can understand them. Yeah. That is based on a poem that was written in Middle English that was based on legends that would have taken place at a time when people would have been speaking like either old English right. or like middle French or like something. Yeah, so, yeah. Or, like, if you French. really wanted to get like so specific, it would probably be nine unintelligible at certain point. Like there was uh you ever seen that movie The Witch or The Vivitch? <laughs> The Vivitch. I actually have not seen The Vivitch. Oh, it's actually really good. And, like, they speak, like, so implanted in that sort of puritanical, like, 1600s dialect that it's, like, it really is hard to hear what they're saying. But if you really pay attention, like, it informs their character in such a strong way where you're like, oh, I definitely get... Like, it's one of those things where, like, I think they just spoke more poetically back then because they just really needed to get their fucking point across. And so that's why they <laughs> speak so, like, you know, in this elevated way. So it's, like, if you get your ear accurate, 
acclimated, you can get into the funk of it. But as soon as you're not like paying attention, it's like, whoa, this is so dense how they're speaking. You know what I mean? So yeah, I mean, and even with that, um, I'm trying to find the original text real quick because even with that like that like 1600s that's still modern english that's like you know shakespeare is modern english but um but the green knight was written in middle english which you can kind of understand but okay so i'm going to read a little bit of the original all right (laughs) and i'm probably going to be pronouncing it really badly but here's the original Sithen the siege and the assault what's sissed at Troy, the board Britain and Brent to Bronded and Askes, the Turk that the Tramed of Tridon red wrote, what's tried for his treachery, the truest on Erte, hit what's eniet the Atel and he higi kinde that Sithen the preked princes. And patrones become like yeah, that's you, middle English. You sound like a like Swedish Transylvanian person with a lisp. <laughs> like <laughs> it sounds. Yeah, it's like you can't. You cannot. Like it, there's no way. I mean, you could do a movie in Middle English, but that right. would essentially you it, need it, it would start being alienating. Yeah, right. And, so the point is, we're already in a different. Like we're already in a different language from the source material, which was in a different language from what the characters would have been speaking. Yeah. And w- but so, although I do appreciate when you hear them singing, like when you hear songs in the background, they actually do like stick more to the pronunciation of the older. Yeah, thing, the which songs, I thought was really cool. Yeah. Well, like, yeah, like, Be Merry, Sweet Lord, what what you started singing at the beginning, like, Be Merry, Sweet Lord is um, partly in Middle English and partly in Middle French. Mm. Uh, and, yeah, it sounds very, very strange. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, like, that works. So, but, but my point is just basically getting mad that a character sounds too modern. It's like, well, it's translated into modern English, so we might as well take advantage of that yeah, yeah, and yeah. have them speak in a way that, that's, you know, comprehensible. And it's funny. Although, oh, my God, the way I – and this is one of the things that I now, on a second viewing – was able to take a step back and sort of appreciate more that I had a better idea of what was going on. The way King Arthur speaks is so hilarious to me. And it's part of, it's partly like the voice that Sean Harris is doing. Cause the King and Queen who are just named King and Queen in the credits, they're not yeah. actually credited. They're played by actors who are, I guess like early middle age. And I feel like they're aged up like the way they, are made yeah. to look, they look older than they are. And, and I think the king old. is supposed to be kind of getting sick. I, that's what it kind of feels like. Yeah, he, he's playing kind of kind of frail, and he and he speaks in this like creaky old voice and kind of limps around, and he says, um, the, this line just fucking killed me. He, he says to Gawain, he says, he says, come sit beside us, Gawain. And he says, he says to him, you are my sister's boy, quiffed from her womb. Quiffed and I have the subtitles on, quiffed from her womb. And I was like, I don't know what made, uh, I don't know, I don't know what made David Lowry choose that. I mean, you know, it's, um, it's a, like they're familial sort of talking to each other. So I guess it's that like, you know, sort of. I, I guess I don't want to think about. But yeah, using that but... word queef from <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Oh my god. Oh man. Um but yeah, so so that scene, the whole so um it's very sort of spooky. We open as the poem opens, the very, very beginning where you have that sort of demonic voice. 
Oh, uh, yes! This, like, scary, demonic voice, like, reading. Well, it starts out just sounding kind of like an old lady, like a crone, uh, you know, sort of saying rhyming couplets about an adventure. And then it turns into this, like, like exorcist voice. And yeah. we see a shot of Dev Patel sitting on a throne, crowned. And the crowns, by the way, all the crowns in the movie... They all look like uh, halos. Are- they're made to look like halos in medieval depictions of saints and angels rather than being a crown that kind of goes around the the brow it it like hovers behind the head yeah um, which was a really interesting choice yeah but with the intro it's showing him like sitting there and like the crown is slowly like coming down to his head that that's how Mm -hmm. it starts yeah oh yeah he he is crowned and then he catches fire yeah (laughs) (laughs) um and it's interesting because I, I don't know if this was an intentional thing, but the way that the crowns look sort of conflates royalty with like saints and angels. Yeah, and yeah. in the poem, um, in the poem at least, and this was sort of part of the culture, I think, of that, like the medieval romance, or the chivalric romance, that like the poem refers to Jesus as a as a prince and a knight specifically and talks about Jesus being a knight. And, um, and there was, you know, and there are things in the Arthurian legend that really, um, are similar to Christianity in a lot of ways of the idea that like, here was this great hero who came for a time, but then, you know, was taken away and, but he's going to return someday. And when he returns, he's going to make everything better. You know, that's the, the idea in Christianity of the second coming Mm -hmm. is very similar to British legends about Arthur coming back. Um, so I don't know if those. I'm sure at least part of that resonance was intentional. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, but yeah, you're right. Like, so there's that creepy part first, and then yeah, the the strangeness. Of, and then it slams to like a daytime snowy scene in this barnyard. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then we uh, finally get to actually uh, Godwin himself, who's like just kind of sleeping. Uh, and he just kind of looks like his face is dirty. Yeah, well, he's he's in his girlfriend's house because his girlfriend is some kind of a servant or peasant girl. So Gowan is is royalty. He's the king's nephew, but he is involved with this girl who is you know some sort of servant or peasant. In yeah, the she's castle. got a short she's, pixie pixie cut, you know. Right, Essel, and and Essel is low class, and so they they're sort of carrying on an affair, but it's not really a sanctioned relationship. And he and he wakes up and she splashes water on him. He seems like he's hungover. Yeah. Um, and they're kind of you know messing around and playing. And she says it's Christmas. Um, she she splashes him with water and says uh, Christ, Christ is, is born. born. And he <laughs> Christ is born and he indeed. responds with Christ is born indeed. And then starts like <laughs> jumping on her. Yeah. And then when they they go out of the room, there's like two other people making out. I was like, where are they? <laughs> right. They're, well, I think they're just in peasant housing because. Uh. And, and so this gets down to a, a cultural difference. There's a really interesting book. Well, there's a, there's a few interesting books. Um, there's one called A World Lit Only by Fire. But there's a really great one called If Walls Could Talk, An Intimate History of the Home. And it's about the history. It's from a British perspective. It's a British historian. But it's about the history of houses. But it really gets into the history of how housing situations inform and are informed by the way humans conceive of themselves. And so in this time period, everybody, lower classes and upper classes, everybody, you know, people were much less individualistic and it was much more of a societal role 
thing. And that wasn't just about like, you know, I've got my duty to do because I'm a peasant. Therefore, I have to do my peasant duty or I'm a king and I have to do my kingly duty. But there were things like, I mean, people shit in front of each other, you know, like they they didn't have bathrooms. They did not. They didn't have private bathrooms a lot of the time. Like they had these, you know, jakes that had like literal like shitholes that you'd sit on next to somebody else who's having a shit at the same time. And, you know, and like people would all sleep together in one big room. Families would all be sleeping in one big bed sometimes. And so that idea of privacy, like it's not it's not that it's like, you know, some kind of brothel or it's scandalous and they're having an orgy. It's just why would they go in some secret place to have sex? People have sex. This is our house, you know? Yeah. So he we see him, you know, he's leaving this sort of, you know, rowdy peasant house and running up to this tower Um and, you know, it's very sort of grand inside and he goes in and, you know, grand in a medieval way, which the, the reason I make that distinction will come up later. But um, but his mother is inside and she and so she's Morgan Le Fay in the poem in the original poem. Morgan Le Fay shows kind of is mentioned at the end, but Morgan Le Fay is not going Gawain's mother in the poem. Um, it's a different sister of the king who's his mother in the poem. But um, but the director here chose to make Morgan Le Fay his mother. So he goes into her house and she scolds him and for, you know, for coming in drunk and yeah. um, and says she's not going to the king's Christmas party. Yeah. And then we see uh, and then we see Gawain going to the king's Christmas party. And this was where I was saying, like, you know, in the poem or in, you know, sort of what you might expect from like a regular medieval you know it's a big rowdy feast and everybody's partying and laughing and joking and telling tales and running around and sloshing their beer and da 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 but it's it's very in the movie it's like very it almost feels like a very somber part of a religious service yeah it's, it's very serious and somber and quiet and still yeah like i mean you see like if you get close to the night you can see them sort of like being like you know making mirth but it's like a very muted version. It's very subdued mirth. Yeah. The king sort of, uh, he kind of goes to his nephew and he's like, hey, you know, how about you, I feel like I don't really know that much about you. How, how about you tell me a story about yourself? And he's like, oh, I don't really have any... That was such words. a mood. <laughs> that moment was such a mood. I fucking hate... There is nothing that will just send me into a fucking spiral like somebody being like, so tell me about yourself. What have you done? Like, nothing will send me into, like, a spiral of self-loathing like somebody asking me a question like that and the look on his face where you could just see the gears, like, grinding to a halt in his head. It's like, oh, And this is another thing, too, that's kind of an important difference is in the story. The story is called Sir Gawain. He's a knight in the story. He's a knight the whole time. But in this, he's not a knight yet. He's explicitly not a knight. And that point is called into attention several at several times. So, yeah, the king, you know, he says, like, all right, he's not going to get a story out of his nephew. So he kind of, like, starts to walk around. He's like, will anyone, you know, uh, regale us with some sort of tale, some sort of song, some sort of, you know, something. Let's have something special. And as this is happening... Uh, it's cutting to this other scene where you're seeing what looks like a bunch of witches sort of uh, like... Yeah, it's Morgan Le Fay and her coven are yeah, doing okay. a spell. So it is... His mom is has something to do with this great night, right? Like, because there was yeah. something that I was yeah, trying to like, figure out what was going on. 
I it seemed more obvious to me on the second viewing. The first time I watched it, I was pretty sure. And then the second time I viewed it, I was like, okay, yeah, because it made a lot of things sort of click into place the second viewing. So she's doing this spell, and you see, like, one of the last things that happened is this little green sprout pop up. Yeah. And there's sort of an, a theme that isn't stated outright too much, but there's a tension between the new Christianity and the old pagan ways, right? Because Morgan Le Fay is a pagan. She brings forth the green man. And this is another thing. In the story, the green knight is literally, he's like a big giant green guy. He looks like the jolly green giant. He's like this really big, good looking guy. And he's green and his horse is green, but he's, he's not like a tree man. But in the movie, he looks like the green man as in the pagan god, the like god of the forest, the the you know, the green man. Like in the in the story again, this feast scene is like this guy shows up and he's like riding around being like, Y'all are pussies, all you knights are pussies, I could fight any one of you and like taunting them and all this stuff. And, you know, and finally Gawain's like, all right, no, 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 fuck you. I'm going to do something about you. And it's much more, like, silly. That's what I mean um, in the poem. Uh. But the scene in the in the movie is is very, like, it's super, It's very clearly supernatural. It's terrifying. Yeah. Um, like, the and, doors and, fly yeah. open the, and all the fires kind of go out around them. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's all this, like, whoosh. And he hands, he doesn't speak himself. He hands a letter to the king and queen and Guinevere reads it. She starts reading it in like her eyes are all milked out and there's a weird light on her and she's reading in the voice of the green man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so rather than him saying, you know, rather than being this sort of obnoxious giant who comes in and is like, Hey, you pussies, who's going to fight me? Who's going to fight me? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he comes in and, and hands over this letter and then the queen makes this supernatural pronouncement in the green man's voice. Yeah, and, and passes out afterwards. And so, yeah, the, so it's like, all right, I'm going, I want you to indulge me in a Christmas game. Uh, land whatever blow you wish, but I'll give back the same blow a year hence is basically the thing. And mm-hmm. the, so, so that's the actual conceit of it. And I thought that was so interesting, right? Because he makes it very clear. He says, like, you know, strike me however you wish. You know, be a check on the cheek or anything like like however you want to strike me, just know that that strike will be returned. You know, like so it's like w- whatever you want to do, and then someone gets up and goes like, yeah, uh, uh, no, uh, uh, originally the king wants to. He's like, I wish to strike this blow myself, but my body, you know, you know, tells me that I'm not strong enough to do it. So you know, I, I does anyone wish to go in my stead? And you know, Guywin uh, makes the. You know, all right, this is my chance to, you know, have my story told, you know. And so he gets up and sort of like, uh, he takes the takes the sword from the king and gets up like in a very bold way, like knocks over some, uh, knocks over some wine. So it like spills all over a bunch of shit. And he like jumps into the middle of the arena like, all right, let's go. And the uh, green knight, instead of like, you know, getting in a stance to fight, sort of like opens up his arms, you know, to be, to be struck. And, you know, at first guy was like, what? what's is this a trick what are you doing you know like why would you what are you doing are you trying to are you gonna like come at me if i do something to you and then he like lays down his axe and like you know kneels forth and like you know offers himself to be like attacked and i was like oh okay and he says uh and he says remember what happened here this day and he like chops off the head 
And, you know, the, yeah. the head pops off and, like, you know, flops around, blood spurts everywhere. But, uh, and, you know, everyone's like, okay, well, that was easy enough. And, you know, everyone starts clapping, like, oh, yeah, he did his job. All right, awesome. And then, you know, the headless body, like, stands back up, walks over and gets the head. <laughs> and just, like, yeah. looks at him and is just like, well, one year hence. I feel like the... I feel like it made a little more logical sense in the original story, mm. but I don't what, what fault happens in the, the story? movie for yeah. that. How, how does so that, it's, yeah, how does that unfold? it's largely just kind of tone, and it's a few small differences in tone that make a big difference because the the knight comes in, the green knight comes in, and he's and he's insulting everybody and he's taunting everybody and he's say, oh, well, I've got weapons at home and if I really wanted to fight somebody, I'd come in here and nobody would be able to fight me. And he clearly seems like a threat. He seems like somebody who's out of control. And then um, Arthur, who in the story is is not old, he's he's, you know, young and healthy and he starts to fight, but, you know, they're all going, okay, let's not have the king get into this. So Gawain comes forward and the Green Knight hand like actually gives Gawain his axe and says use my axe and do whatever you want to me and then right at the last minute he says you know so you know whatever you do to me you're gonna have to come find me well Gawain actually says I'll come find you but he says you know whatever you do to me you're gonna have to I'm gonna do to you in a year and at the very last minute right before Gawain strikes a blow um, the Green Knight says something like, but, you know, if you do something and I don't get up or say anything again, then I guess you won't have to deal with me anymore. And so this guy has come in, been making veiled threats and insulting everybody, and then is basically like, and, you know, if you kill me, then I guess you won't have to deal with me anymore. And Gawain, clearly not thinking it through, is like, oh, yeah, I won't have to deal with you anymore and kills him. Um Whereas in the movie, it's just like, what the fuck did you do, Gawain? Why did you think that was the thing to do? But at the same time, um, it it makes sort of a it makes sort of an emotional and dream logic sense because Gawain's sitting there in this weird, solemn space. There's a moment where, um, you know, when, when you mentioned the queen saying to him, like, "Do not take your place among them lightly." She she says, "Look around. What do you see?" He looks yeah. around at all these at all these knights of the round table and says, I see legends. Mm -hmm. So he's in this weird somber space surrounded by legends that he doesn't know if he can live up to. And he's just been asked to tell about himself. And he's like, I don't have anything to live up to. And all of a sudden a monster comes in. And even though from an outside perspective, it's like, why did you think that cutting his head off was a good idea from, for Gawain? It was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to be a hero now. Right. Um, you know, so it's it's just different. Yeah, but, but um, I, I do find, like, uh, I want to get back to what the specifics of the story that you said, but I, I just wanted to say real quick, I do think it was interesting. It's like, yeah, he totally could have spared his fate if he would have just went, like, uh, cut on the cheek. <laughs> you know, like, mm -hmm. and then be like, all right, now I'll see you in a year. And then it would have been, but like, yeah, it was the point of, I got to make a big show of it. All right, I'm a hero now. Bam! And then it was like, oh, wait, I didn't even think, of, like, is this guy immortal? Oh, I guess he kind of fucking is. Uh... You know, he picks up his head and leaves and everybody's like, oh, shit, that guy can pick up his head and leave. Yeah. I was like, that kind of that kind of makes the stakes a little unfair, doesn't it? It's like, hey, wait a minute. you, you I, I can't just pick up my head after I get mine slapped off. 
this is bullshit. Yeah. But hey, you know, this, yeah. this is why you got to read fine print in, uh, in you know, contracts or yeah. whatever the fuck this was yeah. supposed to be. <laughs> so his his girl chides him a little bit because she's like, so, you know, what was it like to, you know, do it? Well, it was like, well, it was like cutting a melon. It, it was like nothing. It, it was weird. And, and so she got to get at him and she says, like, behold, uh, you know, uh, Sir Gawain. Sir Gawain, slayer of melons. Yeah, chopper of melons. And then she says, yeah. you can't get it up and then starts kissing him and i was like whoa wait a minute hold on can he is he is he is he impotent is, was that what was that well what he's he's an alcoholic i oh, mean damn. that's something that i didn't quite <laughs> i didn't quite i didn't quite see um i didn't quite like get that um it, until the second viewing because you know he's drunk around christmas but it's like in the middle ages christmas was very much an adult holiday right, it was right. like Christmas Christmas back then was basically like New Year's Eve. Now it was like yeah, it is yeah. a time for getting drunk and rowdy. Yeah, but, and, it, but the idea in general is that you, what you kind of pick up is that he is the yeah Arthurian uh, version of a loser. Like you know he right. I mean yeah. he's yeah he he is um, he is. Like th- there's a scene in the tavern later where they say something like how he's there every night and he usually leaves barely being able to stand. So you know he's. He, he's not a knight yet, even though he's clearly full grown. Yeah. And, he and he's fact, a drunk. Yeah, and in fact, there's one. Uh, I believe the night after he has that bout, you know, there's people like singing his praises. But one person goes like, "Hey, isn't your mother a witch or something like that?" And then, like, you know, he just starts beating the crap out of him, and you know, like just like a down and dirty brawl, just because like even though he he's supposed to have had. You know, he has this honor now. Like, because that's what kind of happens. Like, after he slays the knight, there becomes this sort of thing of... Or after he, like, fights the knight, there becomes this sort of, like... You can hear other people kind of talking talking him up, right? Like, because uh, I think... Wasn't it when he's posing for the picture? Like, yeah, he's posing for a, a picture, and they're, like, painting all these really great things on him, even though what he's actually just wearing is just, like, you know, these plain fucking robes, because it's, like, you know... Oh, yeah, that, I didn't even pick visual. that up, that the clothing and the portrait was, yeah, this, was different. But yeah. I just love that, like... And, you know, that's kind of just what they did anyways, because, like, of course, you're not always going to be wearing your best thing, but I just like that visual... Uh, uh, te- that visual language that just kind of says, like, this guy is clearly not what he's immediately being puffed up to be, you know, like... Like, yeah. Right, right. Um, so I, I read uh, there was an interview in um, I think it's uh, is it Vanity Fair, or Rolling Stone. Um, I don't. I think it might have been Vanity Fair. Anyway, I read an uh, an interview with uh, David Lowry, uh, the director, where he he actually said that um, the movie ended up being very much about the relationship between Gowan and Morgan, between Gowan and his mother. And he said that he based it on his own relationship with his mother because he said, you know, he basically said of himself, he said, I have, I had failure to launch and I lived with my mom for way too long and she had to kind of push me out and it was rough. And, um, you know, and so, you know, Dev is basically, Dev is basically playing this, you know, millennial not to to shit on my own generation we had a we had an economic crash to get through but he's he's playing this sort of um you know extended adolescence yeah 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 his his girl essel she actually says to him she's kind of one of the ones that kind of doesn't want him to go she says like you know why greatness why is goodness not enough (laughs) you know like why can't you just stay here and not possibly die because uh, like he knows what he has to do and he's telling them like okay, I cut off his head and I'm going to go over there and he's going to do the same thing that I did to him. And there's this sort of, 
you know, nebulous thing where it's just like, okay, so if that is the honor of what it's to do, then are you just going to die? So you're not going to come back and, you, like, you won't have the benefits of the honor of finishing this, you know, fight with this with this knight. It's just going to be you being dead, you know? So what, right. what and, is the well, point? And that comes part of a question, right? I, I guess that comes down to also chivalric ideals and the idea that, you know, it's better to be dead and having died with honor than live in shame. Mm. Um which is a big theme, although yeah, uh, we'll yeah. get to we'll get to the end yeah, in my interpretation yeah. of the end. But okay. but you look at because what it seems to me um, is and, and this is like based on sort of my own interpretation from viewing it again, as well as reading some stuff that David Lowry has said that Morgan Le Fay has basically engineered everything that happens to him and that. It seems like she is pushing and testing and challenging her son to basically make him become a knight. Um, to make him yeah. right, because you know she sees him being this sort of layabout um, and knows that you know that he needs adventure, he needs challenge. Okay, okay. Oh, you know, we could look at it as, you know, see, oh, the, the greatness that she sees within him. Or it could be, I mean, that's my son. Of course I see greatness in him. <laughs> you know, like... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, and at any rate, just wanting him to be pushed out of the nest, so to speak. Right. So, um, so the green man, the green knight, is basically, um, you know, so like, like I said, he, he clearly... The way he looks clearly is drawn from the green man, the the pagan god, and I think that there are very intentional references to that. Mm. Um, I don't think he is entirely a creation of Morgan. You could look at it that way, that he's like a puppet, he, that he's basically just a puppet, or you could look at it as some a being that sh has some autonomy, but that she is called forth. But in any case, mm. she's definitely... Um, responsible for him right she is she is the reason that he showed up and and he yeah it's, but she's not aware that i mean he's not aware that she summoned him right yeah, yeah. um Guy right he about. doesn't right for all he knows this is some you know monster that showed up for no reason yeah. the other thing is that she um you know, before he goes off, so, you know, we see it's been a year and he seems to have just been laying around getting drunk the whole year and not really doing very much. Um, and we see him getting Christian blessings from the queen and a bishop um, and also getting uh, his, the, his mother and her, her coven, her fellow witches, are making him this green, uh, this green oh, yeah, sash, this green yeah, girdle, yeah. which... In the um in the poem is like the girdle that belongs to the lady of the lord who kind of seduces him and it's just like her lacy underwear that she gives him and it is magical but it's magical her her magic like la <laughs> it's like her magic lacy underwear that she gives him uh <laughs> midway through but this is something yeah. that his mother makes him and the way that comes back is really interesting yeah yeah but his mother oh go on. Oh, yeah. So his mother and her coven make him this protective green thing. And so he goes off from the beginning, very well fitted out with armor and a horse and all this stuff, as well as magical protection saying. Um, and oh, so this is this comes back to also the sort of Christian versus pagan. He's got this magical protection 
um, with the with the girl from his mother, and then he's also got a shield with the Virgin Mary and yes, baby yes, Jesus yes. pointed painted on it mm-hmm. um, that has been blessed by the by the bishop. Mm. So he's got he's kind of got protection from both ends, right. but then as to what lasts and what comes back to him, mm. we'll see. And so, uh, so he. Oh yeah, yeah. Go ahead. I was gonna say, so he goes out on his mission, and the first thing he comes across, he's sort of wandering about, and I don't. Does he have a direct direction? I think he's just kind of going like north in general at first. Yeah, I I think it's north in general. Um, I know he crosses through Wales because the episode with Saint Winifred is explicitly in Wales, and we'll we'll talk about that. But I just want to say real quick that that scene when he's first leaving is so just stunning he's he's like coming down the road on this horse there's little kids running after him going and he's ignoring them but there's um there is camelot on the one side of the road and it's this big just heap of castle slash cities because you know castles are basically just tiny cities this you know this big heaped up city of camelot um and then on the other side of the road, there's like an old ruined tower that looks really spooky and, and abandoned. And then a shepherd who looks like a, who, who basically looks like a human sheep and is all like in shaggy white clothing, uh, drives a bunch of sheep across the road. And it was just every every little bit in there just looked amazing. And I'm wondering where it was shot because I would guess it was like Sweden or something. Um where was Green? Thank you. Google Ireland. It was filmed in Ireland. Oh, wow. ah, I got to get to Ireland. Yeah, I've never been to Ireland and I really yeah. want to and I really need to go there. My wife really wants to go. Anyway. Okay. Yeah, so no, no. anyway, it was filmed well, in Ireland. It's beautiful. Yeah. He So he goes out um, and he's go comes across this, uh, what looks like, a, you know, a battle had just taken place in this huge battlefield. And he's just, like, walking across it, and this one little, like, pip of a guy kind of comes up to him, and he's like, hey, what, where are you going? Are you a knight? What are you doing? And he's, like, just sort of, like, asking him questions, and he just seems like this guy, like, and I was trying to figure out who this, like, what had this guy gone through? Because it looks like, and because and, I think at one point he says, like, oh, yeah, my brother died in some sort of thing, and this happened, so it seems like he's someone who was, like, maybe someone who hit out while a battle had happened and then it's like the aftermath of it and he's just sort of like going around in a daze like I don't know what my life is he, now, well he's know? a scavenger he's he's scavenging off the yeah. dead bodies in the field yeah see that's what but... I figured out later on but at first it's I was trying to figure out what he was because the way he was talking it seemed like he was someone who was just kind of like lost mentally he does yeah he seems very strange he seems like almost like he's intoxicated um i just really wanted to mention because this was something i noticed this time i I had a better sense of the timeline that he leaves out and then we see him going through these sort of misty woods and i think i could be wrong but i think we spot the fox for the first time yes in those woods yeah yeah, and then he emerges onto this battlefield that's just crowded with dead, and he sees the scavenger walking around. And now this was something that I, I pieced together this time. So um, Arthur gives this speech at the Christmas feast where he says, you know, you all, my knights. And by the way, there is this one knight, and I just noticed him really this time around, this knight with some, like, face tattoos who is real creepy. Like, that dude, like, I would I would not want to be around that dude. Um, 
But anyway, but Arthur is like, you, my knights, you have brought peace on the land by subjugating our Saxons, right. by subjugating <laughs> the Saxons and making them bow their heads to you. Yeah. And so clearly, you know, Arthurian legend, especially sort of like the, if you're not deep into it and we're just getting the sort of disnified version of it, doesn't really get into Arthur as warlord. But, mm. you know, at least certainly in this version, Arthur is the is the king who has basically oppressed the shit out of the Saxons yeah. all around. Yeah, that's what I like. I, yeah, I like how they, you know, it's him saying the words, so he of course, you know, puts a puts a bit on it that makes it sound like, well, this is what needs to happen because I am the powerful here. But it's so clearly that thing of like, oh, you're not necessarily a good guy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's he is a you know he has subjugated a lot of the people around because, you know, this was a time when there were lots of different groups in England that were vying for, for control. And then, um, and then we get to this battlefield and, um, you know, the scavenger says something like, Oh, they're all dead. Nobody survived. Cause the scavenger, I think, you know, he was at home at his house and then came out after the battle to pick through the dead bodies. Yeah. Um, but he says, oh, oh, I heard the king, you know, killed 960 by himself. And of course, we've seen King Arthur, you know, he's he's yeah. a frail old man. Like he clearly didn't. But um, but the idea that is this is Arthur's doing like all these this mm. whole field of massacred bodies like that was King Arthur doing that. Yeah. Um, and so we get to see like something other than just this king being you know, the sort of saintly figure. The scavenger is really like he's wearing um he he's a very upsetting figure. He's wearing boots that are way too big and that his his feet kind of come halfway through the ankle. So the like feet of the boots are just like dangling around and he's kind of limping around on them. Um and he's got a facial rash and he seems like he's intoxicated or confused. Um and he uh and he he starts asking uh Gawain, Gawain for uh like you know where are you going where'd you come from and stuff and we're you know I would think most most of the audience just being you know adults who exist in the world are, are getting very concerned about this yeah. Gawain's very naive you know he's lived in Camelot his whole life as a prince and so he's um you know he's just blithely like oh yeah you know this is what I'm doing and um and the scavenger gives him directions and then starts demanding money from him. So Gawain tosses him a single coin, but jingles around in his pouch, making it clear he has a lot more money. Yeah. Um, and that turns out to be a very bad idea. Yeah. So he tells him, uh, he tells him, oh yeah, just go up north, like along the stream, and you know, I, I think I've seen a green chapel somewhere up there. And uh, and he says, um, so he travels up there, and then all of a sudden. He see he comes across this one person who like kind of like stands before him and kind of like pulls slowly unsheathes like a little knife and is like oh shit and then he turns and so and like so it's like uh, someone else has like an arrow like aimed right at him it's like oh don't go too far and then all of a sudden he kind of pulls it back and you see another person come up who has like cat ears what it looks like on their hood and yeah like, takes it over and is like holy shit so it's like yeah this this thief and his two cat girls have come to you know <laughs> rob him blind. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, they get him on his knees and, you know, they hold a knife and he's like, please, please. And they're mocking him like, oh, please, 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 please. And, um, 
you know, they beat the crap out of him, take all of his stuff, and, and, you know, they tie him up, and he goes like, is there really a green trapple? Like, wait, please, at least tell me. And he's like, yeah, there's a green one. You're in it. <laughs> you know, just like, you know, pointing around to, like, the greenery and shit. And, um, yeah, they stomp, that, that's the scene where, you know, they do the close-up of the shield, and you see them stomping on the uh, shield with the Mary and baby Jesus. And they actually right. steal his so- green band. Uh, that that was the the big thing that was like ah oh, yeah they cut the band off him and take it and then and then the chapel uh, and then the uh, yeah the yeah. shield they they destroy so and, and, and then he says like uh, he says I'll finish your quest for you brave knight as he's brandishing brandishing his axe and he runs off and I don't think that ever comes back like his character doesn't return or anything like that. But something... um we see him again really briefly at the end. Yeah, we do. We see it. Yeah, we see the the scavenger again really, really briefly at the end. Well, kind of, uh, kind of. We'll get into that. So, so Gowan is tied up at the base of a tree struggling and the camera kind of pans away and pans back and he's a dead skeleton. Yeah. And then it pans away and pans back and he's still alive. And that's important. But it's all like one, uh, it's all like one take as it's happening though. That's what's kind of interesting about it. Yeah. 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 But that moment is really important because what that tells us, which becomes important later is that, Oh, by the way, if you haven't ever listened to this show before, we're going to spoil everything. Yeah. So, um, so what that tells us is we, we'll potentially see possible futures that aren't necessarily real. That's what mm. the skeleton tells us. So, um, so he ends up managing to scooch his way over to his sword and get himself untied. And he's running around in the woods with nothing and spots this, uh, this spooky, spooky dooky cabin in the dark woods. Oh yeah. And so, and I, it, but there's a, like a soft bed there. So he kind of like goes in and sort of takes his rest. Oh, I loved the titles, by the way, yeah, especially so like cool. <laughs> at the beginning where it's like Sir Gawain, Sir Gawain, Sir Gawain oh, yes. in different fonts. But they're all medieval fonts, but they all they're all like, you know, quote unquote medieval fonts, but they all look really different from each other. Yeah. That was so tasty. I loved that. And wasn't the, the um, one where it says like where it goes one year, a, a year too soon, hence, or something like that, when the transition yeah. happens and you see like the, the words are actually on like a wooden piece of something. So yeah, really there's a little puppet show so with a little cool. puppet green man and yeah. a little puppet. I keep wanting to say a little puppet Dev Patel, a little you know, a little puppet Gawain. Yeah. Um, but so this part is really interesting because I was curious. So the episode with Saint Winifred isn't in the poem, oh. but um, but uh, David Lowry didn't pull it out of his ass. What it was is that, and I had to go back and look because I completely missed it. There is this completely throwaway line in the poem where you know Gowan's traveling through the land. And he goes past the fountain of Holyhead, and then he goes to some other place, and blah blah blah. And it's this total throwaway. He goes past the fountain of Holyhead. The fountain of Holyhead is a real spring in um, in Wales that is supposedly. So the legend of Saint Winifred is that this prince named um, what is it? It's like Cagadog or something. This uh, what is his name? Um, anyway, some shitty prince wanted to rape her, <laughs> and um, and she ran away. Her her uncle was a monk, so she ran away to her uncle's, or he might have been a priest. Anyway, she ran away to her uncle's church, and the prince came and got her in the church anyway and cut off her head, 
and then um Wait, who and cut then off her, head? her the, the priest or the the prince no 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 the the prince who wanted to rape her cut off her head okay and then um and then her head fell down and a spring formed around her head a well formed around her head and then her uncle took her head and put it back on her body and she miraculously came back to life and then the prince was struck down dead. David Lowry took the that legend and just ran with it and inserted a meeting in between uh Gowan and St. Winifred and, yeah, and and yeah, I I liked that episode a lot. It's um it's it took me a minute because if you've seen uh Falcon and the Winter Soldier the actress who plays St. Winifred, uh what is her name? Uh Erin Kellyman uh is in Falcon and Winter Soldier and I really hated her character in that. And so I had to like kind of, you know, joggle you that. Really gotta recalibrate my brain. But she's, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But she's great. She's really good in this. I think she's very funny. I think the lines yeah. she has are really funny. It's interesting the way that she acts because it's you know, um, like, it's just in this, you know, general way that, like, people talk to each other, like, in these sorts of movies where it's, like, they're saying this thing, and then they'll say this thing, and, like, a normal conversation would be, like, wait, explain that, though. What does that mean? <laughs> but it's, like, sort of, like, the way it kind of carries on is kind of, like, okay, but when you understand the character, like, if you're, you know, in tune with how this character of Gawain is trying to be, right? Like, you understand why he then makes the decision instead of continuing to question, right? Because uh, she says, uh, you know, he asks, you know, she's like, you know, my head's in there. You know, someone ch chopped it off and then put it in there. It's like, my lady, your, your head's on your shoulders. It's like, no, it's not. It's in there. I know where my head is and it's in there. And he's like, um, well, are you real or are you a spirit? And she goes like, what's the difference? <laughs> And it's like that weird. Yeah, thing. I, she was so sassy. I love yeah. that. Yeah, like, ah. she was sassy, dead saint. It is, that, but it's that sort of thing where you're like, ah, well, I guess. Huh. <laughs> we, uh, damn it! <laughs> but yeah, but, and then he asked the next question. He's like, if I retrieve it, you know, what would you give me? And she goes, Why would you ask that? Why would you ever ask that? <laughs> and but now again, for me, I'm thinking like, of course, I'm about to jump in in the middle of the night in the water. I'm sorry, any body of water is scary to jump into. I want to know why I got to do it instead of you. <laughs> but like, it, there is that you know another level where it is like, okay, if this man is going to be noble and honorable, right? Like, if you if someone's you know tasking you to do something, you don't do it with the idea of like, well, what will I get in return, right? You do it because you know uh, uh, of the nobleness right. of and helping, right? Like, yeah, there's a couple times that she really like scolds him for not living up to knightly virtues, and yeah. I it's nice because it's part of his education. Yeah, he tries to touch her at one point. She's like, hey, don't ever touch me. What are you doing? As somebody pointed this out, and, and I mean, this occurred to me as well, like that it's such a nice subversion that in a lesser film, he would have reached out and like put his hand through her and she would have been like, oh, she's see-through. Right, right. But not having that moment made it so much stronger for so many reasons. Yeah. It was I, really good. And then also when you have the later on when he has the head in his hands and it turns into the actual head, that's that that makes that's a better like scary like, oh this shit is real. <laughs> like you know what I mean? Um but then she says a line. Okay, so she goes, because uh, she he puts the head like he drops the head because he's like scared. He's like, Oh, what the fuck? Holy shit. And she says something. Let me see if I got it. Uh she says, I will strike you down with every yeah. care I have for thee. Okay, yeah. She says, now I can see thee, and I will strike thee down for every care I have for thee. And then she says, the green knight is someone you know. And I'm like, what? What is? What is? Oh, shit. Wait. Now that you said that part about it's actually being controlled by the mom, 
It's a mm, damn, damn. You made that. You really brought that together. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. Shit. Like I don't, I don't fully know what the first bit is about. But yeah, but the Green Knight yeah. is someone you know. Like, um, you know, his mom is very much. I like. I'm now seeing the whole thing from the perspective as Morgan is engineering all of this as basically like. A, a crash course in how to be a grown ass man mm. for her son. Oh wow, this is her like I'll make a man out of you. <laughs> right, right. And, you know it's so funny. Like uh, thinking about this movie initially, yeah, there is that like okay, you know, all all narratives, especially from like older things like this, are going to be like very male centered, male perspective. But then when you add that layer of like, oh, like a directly a female character in this narrative is driving the action, like that so puts things in a different like. Uh, in a different light you know <laughs> that's so yeah fascinating. yeah i mean it's it's very much the the women absolutely seem to be in control in this narrative because morgan's you know like i said i i'm pretty sure morgan's just engineering everything essel has got you know more common sense she's than anybody else yeah of, of everybody the, she's the, the lady person. yeah she's the one person who seems to just be like speaking like the most modern person is like yeah why would you do this why are you going to do this mission what's going on with that you know like she's the most right like, also probably because world. she's not nobility and she's yeah, yeah, not she... beholden to the sort of chivalric why, ideas right. um, but also the lady who's also played by the same actress the lady who we'll get to in a moment like she ends up being sort of the author mouthpiece um, right. and being, you know, sort of not, you know, Morgan drives the plot, but the lady sort of lays bare all the themes of the story. Mm -hmm. You're right. Um, um, and we'll get to that in a yeah. second. Cause yeah, I, I did want to talk about, uh, oh yeah. Yeah. We're just about to get to it actually. Um, so he comes like, first he comes across the giants and, uh, I think at some point he comes across the, the that 3D animated fox, the CG fox, which I, I yeah, thought was the, so the fox. <laughs> it was very cute. It did take. I think the the second time I watched the movie, it didn't bother me. But the first time I watched the movie, the fox was kind of the only thing that took me out of it. I no, felt like it was a little silly looking. You know, I I actually did enjoy it because like with how grounded the world was, and then having this one character who like. You know, it's like this world is so clearly grounded and then you have this thing that clearly isn't. But, you know, they're still putting it in the world in like a realistic way. But it's like it's that thing yeah, where it's like I... something's pulling at your head is like there's something off in the fact that everything looks real. Like even the Green Knight, like that was all practical effects, right? Like that wasn't any CGI shit. But like, but that one is. And it's the sort of thing that was I... like it's intentionally trying to pull your eye to it. I, felt I like. guess. Yeah, I kind of just wish that it had been like just a real fox and they hadn't made the mouth move or anything. Yeah. But yeah. that's just my personal you know that's my my personal taste but um right. but yeah he he he's going around in the wilderness after that the fox comes up to him it's not talking yeah yeah I, I, but i was also thinking it would probably just be harder to like get a fox you know what i mean to like do the thing i mean they, they have trained they have trained domestic foxes true, uh, true. I, I, but like you know if you needed to move like a certain way like specifically right like yeah, you know yeah. what I mean. I, I, I was just thinking, so. like maybe they were like hedging their bets and going like eh, it would probably just be easier than to get a trainer just to have this animated, and we could have that be part of the effect. Like I said, it it, lo it looks less silly when the animal talks, you know. Than yeah, if yeah, matter, you're right. You know? Yeah, yeah. But uh, I, I think the worst thing, some yeah. of the things Josh was watching on like kids Netflix was like 
there was some show with cats and they were making the cats. They were real cats that they were filming, but then they made the cats mouths moves with CGI. And it was so bad. <laughs> oh my God. It always looks so bad. Right. It's just even more, like, I would rather just have Homeward Bound where it's just the, the animals are just thinking the words at each other. Okay? Right. Just have, <laughs> just have psychic animals. That's yeah. more, the animals being psychic is actually more realistic right. than wanting me to believe that animal mouths could articulately form English sentences. Yeah. Right. <laughs> That's exactly the thing. Um, but yeah, it, and then there's a scene where he comes across giants, and it's not really like that important to the narrative, I don't think. But it is just like a cool scene. Like it's so cool, yeah. yeah and all it is, it's it's another throwaway line in the poem. It's something like, "And he crossed through this valley, and there were giants, and then he went through this, and it's like that's it." And yeah, the giants are so cool. They really made me think of whales. Mm. Um, they're, I they're giants. The, the country. They really made me think of whales. No, 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 the animals. Because, <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. So, yeah, like, yeah. the the Green Knight is sort of gigantic in that he looks like he's maybe like ten or eleven feet tall or something like yeah. that. But the giants are like giant giant like their hands are bigger than uh than gowan's yeah. entire body like you don't even see their full bodies in the screen like that's how right and they're they all like giant slightly bluish naked ladies yeah they all look walking female. along yeah yeah they're all bald one of them has a baby uh-huh. that she's breastfeeding but they're all just like these big bald naked ladies he asks to to like you know may a weary traveler you know uh, ride upon you and they like aren't hearing what he's saying, and then like the the fox just does a howl, just goes oh, and they just imitate that. That's what I was thinking about the whales thing, yeah, because they just sort of yeah. Like, they it sounds like whale song. The sound the song that they're singing really really sounds like whale song. Yeah, and um, and I really like the the shot that followed that one where it's like so. First of all, it just seems like in anticipation of that, he kind of gets further and further away from the camera as you're seeing like the gr- bigness of like the world around him, and then you come across the giant. So it's it's so fascinating. I was like, they kind of set you up for it. And then as he's just like walking behind them and just trying to like, you know, just keep his stead, you see the camera just slowly tilting upside down, which I just like, it just looked so cool. It was, I think it was just like the way it looked was so cool, especially with the ground that he was particularly walking on with that. Uh, there was a bunch of like gray slates that were there. And so it had a specific dynamic to it as, as the camera was twisting. I just thought it was a dope ass shot. Um, yeah, yeah, there's some great... It's either before or after this that he, like, eats some mushrooms and gets... and starts hallucinating a little and gets sick. And he... And he um, I think I think it might be after that. I think right? so. Right, because he's... That's when start, things start getting really rough and it, and he, like, falls asleep. He, he, like, falls down a hill and he falls asleep yeah, and it's dark. And, and he then he, like, sees... the Green Knight, but then... He imagines yeah. seeing the Green Knight and then it turns out it's a tree... And he's just having a rough time. And then that's when he comes upon the castle of yes. that couple at the bar buying you drinks on vacation. And then they give you this look. Right. Oh, my God. Like, so crazy. like, like wow, if you don't is... if you if you don't immediately see that meme, like Google when that older couple <laughs> buying you drinks on vacation starts giving you this look. So he comes in like, yeah, he knocks on the door and just kind of like opens it up. And, you know, the guy comes out and says, friend, welcome, weary traveler. And he just goes. Okay, and this falls on his face, and um, he finally comes to, and he's like, you know, how do you know my name? And he's like, oh, I know more than that, my friend. We've all heard, uh, you know, the story of uh, everyone around here knows the legend of how you're going to come here and slay the Green Knight, you know, and how you're gonna you're gonna take him on, and um, 
Yeah. Uh, what, now this is the scene. You he comes in and he sees uh he, he, uh the man's main lady, and you said it was someone else. Also, is she's the same actress who Essel? plays Essel. Okay, see, mm-hmm. okay, I knew something was up because, like, yeah, but he looks at her in a certain way, and my brain is also looking at her, like, going, like, yeah, who is that? <laughs> it's like I feel like I'm supposed to know who that is, but I... she looks very different. She has different hair. She has a different accent. She speaks in this like, yeah, because Essel has sort of a northern accent, now. right? And so that's part of it. That's part of the change too, right? Like, so you're seeing this character. Like, I mean, you're seeing this actor playing such a different type of character that it really does throw off your brain. You're like, wait, is that the... I feel yeah. like I know who that is. Joel, Joel Edgerton also, like, he looked very familiar to me. Um, I'm not sure what it is I had seen him in before. He has a pretty extensive filmography, but he looks to me, and this is not who he is, obviously, because it's a puppet, but he looks to me like the ghost of Christmas present in Muppet Christmas Carol. <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes. Like he's got these like really Go wonderful round like apple man. cheeks, not like fat yes. cheeks, but like the like his cheekbones are very exactly round, and he just has, this, yeah. you know, he just has this very like jolly look, <laughs> and he's um, he's very charming, and so the, this section is another like the Christmas feast. It's interesting because it has a plot that tracks very closely to the original poem, but tonally is very, very different because in the poem, um, you know, he comes in and he's not in terrible shape. He just, you know, he shows up at the house and there's a big feast going on. There's lots of servants all around. There's lots of guests all around and they're having a big party, party, party and everybody's partying. Um, Whereas in this, he, you know, he shows up and collapses and wakes up in bed. They've put him to bed. Um, and he's and and the and there's nobody around. The only people in the house are the Lord and the lady, and then a spooky old lady who uh in the poem, this old lady is Morgan Le Fay, it turns out. Yeah. Um in the movie, the actress is different, but um, I'm pretty sure she's the yeah, I'm, I'm yeah, I, that is not Sarita Chowdhury who shows up in the Lord's house. No, no, because the older in, woman, yeah. Right, she's a lot older and she's got white hair. Yeah, and um, what I really liked about it is how it set it up where it's like it felt like she was naturally in the scene. Uh, like mm-hmm. in a way where his character would not question it. Because like there's a scene where he's sitting with uh he's sitting with the, the man of the house and the the lady is sitting at another uh, table and sitting with, like, the blinded woman there. So it kind of looks like, oh, you know, maybe men just sit over here and women sit over there. This is just kind of like the way it is. You know, and so, like, her being there, like, you don't think about it. Because, like, oh, maybe that's just our lady right. waiting. So, so yeah. yeah, the old lady is blind. She's got a bandage over her eyes. In the story, she is, like, not like you can see her eyes but she's got sort of like a wimple that's covering most of her face and so you can't really see her clearly but um but yeah so the only people in the movie the only people in the house are the lord and the lady and the and the old lady and presumably there are servants around somewhere but we don't see them and the other weird thing is that um so the the lord is definitely dressed like a medieval lord like he's wearing robes and you know and like a like a chain around his neck and he looks very medieval the house um the house looks like 
15th century. The house is like weirdly modern looking mm-hmm. relative. Yeah, like, relative they don't to the live, king's place. Yeah. R- right. Like they don't live in a castle. They live in like a Tudor palace. Yeah. And so the house looks like we only see the house in the dark, but it still looks pretty modern from the outside. It doesn't look like a castle. And then inside, um, I think there's wallpaper. There's glass paned windows. Whereas back in Camelot, it's like, they have a hole in the roof so you can get some light. Right. Um, but they have like glass paned windows, uh, tiled floor, wallpaper, I think, like very like Renaissance looking furniture. Um, and so it's all like kind of weirdly modern and then and it's all very quiet. It's they're 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 not having a big feast. It's just these like few people and the Lord is being like very boisterous and he's running around like it's Christmas and I'm hunting and we're having fun. But it's still this like weirdly quiet. Like it almost feels like in a hospital or like a boarding school that's been closed for the holiday. And um, and then it turns out that uh, so at one point uh, Gawain ends up in the lady's library and she has this extensive library full of bound books um including and this was a great thing so she's like i said she's kind of the author voice you know she's kind of the voice of the author and at one point this is very cheeky he's asking you know have you read all these books and she says yes and i've written some of them i've I've written down things Mm -hmm. i've copied and she says you know sometimes when i hear a story and i see there's room for improvement i'll go ahead and make the improvement (laughs) yeah which is you know (laughs) you know a little little meta there <laughs> yeah. And she gives him a book which I was trying to find information on this and I could not find out. It was like she this, gives him this like Yeah, this ornate thing that looks like a, a, a sort of uh, looks like a D of a book, like looks like the letter D in book form, you know, cuz it, yeah, it's like circular yeah, and you open and- it. It's yeah, she gives him this interesting round book and it's got sort of a poem in it that's in Middle English and he's reading it out loud. He reads a few lines out loud and it seems to be some kind of love poem. But I, I, I was not able to find out more information of what that was. Um, but um, she also then in sort of the craziest moment um, in that in terms of the weird modern like it's like you've been going, this seems a little weird and anachronistic. And then she takes a photograph of him. She takes a photograph of him. She says, do you want to sit for a portrait? He says, oh, I've already had my portrait done. And she says, not by me. And she has him go and sit in a little tiny room. And she paints a special chemical on the canvas. And then she opens a little tiny pin, like a little tiny hole, like a pinhole that light goes through and it shines on him. And then it projects an image and uh, impresses it upside down in the chemical on the canvas. She takes a photograph of him. Wait, I didn't. That slipped. But hold on. Wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, she she puts him inside a giant pinhole camera and takes a picture of him. Le, le, I gotta go back now. Wait. Let yeah. Me, okay. I'm, That's why it's upside down. That's why it's upside down. It's a pinhole. It, it's a. It's a. Oh, yeah. and so that's what was happening in this scene because I, I I was just looking at it as sort of like it just seems like a really like you know that the the filmmakers are you know showing off you know just showing how ooh look how the paint brushes and how it goes down. Wow, so that's what was happening. No, she's that's why she's doing like a like a house paint sized paintbrush. She's slathering chemicals okay. on the canvas. Yeah, that's a photograph. And, um when we first watched this movie, I watched it with my wife and she and and she said, you know, they're fairies. You know, they're they're fairies. They exist outside of time, so that is uh, uh you know, one possible interpretation and of course you've got uh one big thing in arthurian legend is that merlin who you know was an influence on morgan and in fact um 
in the poem, it specifically says that Morgan learned her magic from Merlin and Merlin in Arthurian legend lives backwards. And so that actually comes up. If you ever read the sword in the stone or saw the Disney movie, um, Merlin knows all about the future because he was born in like the 20th century oh and then lived God, backwards so into weird. Oh wow. That's right. So weird. Like the idea, like you're watching him forward, but he's, his brain has lived all the way in the future. And so for you to be watching him, it's just watching the knowledge that he has already. Oh my God. That's crazy. <laughs> right. And so, um, that's why like, and I can't, I read the book to my kid a little while ago and I haven't seen the Disney movie in a long time, but in the book when Merlin first meets Arthur, Merlin's very sort of emotional because that's him saying goodbye. Oh. Uh, but anyway, um, wow. so, you know, if you take it as they are magical people of some sort who also live backwards, they remember the Renaissance. They might even, however old they are, remember the 19th century and photography, and they just happen to be living in the, you know, 6th century now. That's crazy. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so the, so the Lord of the Manor... Um, says you know i'm going out hunting and i will whatever i find i will bring you the best thing i find in the forest and you give me the best thing you get in the house <laughs> yeah now in the story this goes on for like three days where the king goes out hunting and the lady comes in and she's just madly in love with gowan and she comes in and is like you know getting him to kiss her and the thing is that the kisses um in medieval culture Everybody just kissed everybody on the in like medieval British culture. Everybody kissed everybody on the mouth. This was before right. the plague, and everybody just kissed everybody on the mouth all the time. So, you know, him kissing her on the mouth wasn't necessarily infidelity. Mm. And so, in the story, you know, she gets him to kiss her every day, and she's like, Oh, you're, you know, you, you're a knight, and you have to, you have to be nice to me, and you have to kiss me. And if you don't, you're being a bad knight, and you're breaking a lady's heart. So he kisses her every day, and then the Lord comes home, and Gowan kisses the Lord every night and says, Here you go. Here's the kiss that I got today. And that's, you know, and it doesn't really go beyond that. Um, <laughs> Let me watch from a closet dressed as Superman. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I almost forgot in the um in the episode with St. Winifred, I may be wrong. I think I might have missed this, but I believe that right before he leaves Winifred's house, he sees his he sees the axe because the axe, the um he took the green man's axe with him. Yeah. It was in storage for the whole year when he was waiting to go off on adventure. He took it with him. The bandits took it, and then I believe that at St. Winifred's house, right before he leaves, he sees the axe standing in a corner and takes it because right after that, then we see him walking along with the, um, with the axe, but he still has his, his girdle has been taken. Yeah. Yeah. It has been taken. And in, um, well, I want to say before we get to that, there's a part where, uh, they're having a conversation where they're eating and oh yeah yeah this is important this is like the theme of the movie yeah i thought this was very interesting because he's like you know it's like oh you know uh, when they came in it's like oh yes your honor and destiny fighting for the green knight and but then it kind of gets to the point where he's like you know they're just talking to destiny says like you know what what are you looking for in this fight with this green knight and like he kind of responds sort of like in a like sort of questioningly kind of go like honor and like sort of without real conviction he asked him was like what wait, are you asking me why you're fighting? And he's like, no, no, honor. I, I do it for honor. And it's like, oh, and so this will bring you that. It's like, it will make me a knight, which comes with honor. You know, it's like the sort of like, 
it's it, you could clearly see him sort of still trying to reason why he's doing this <laughs> like you know and then that's when because uh, they start talking about the green knight himself and how he's green and that's when she uh, she goes into the whole soliloquy about the inevitability of greenery to grow all over you know everything we set to do you know and she she starts talking about uh, you know uh, like yeah verdigree as rot and and yeah. green being sort of the the rot that takes over after the red of lust and human conquest yeah um and and the director commented saying that you know he found this notion actually really comforting because they say why is he green and Gowan says because he's not of this earth and then the lady yeah. says but green is the color of earth right green is everything it's it's life and yeah death. It's, yeah it's earth. That's what I, that, that, um, I thought that was cool because it was like, yeah, initially there is that feeling of like, oh, this otherworldly thing. And then it's like, well, what is this really? <laughs> you know, like, because it was a green thing and it had like a green bow on it. It's like, yeah, this thing must have been from this. Just because you don't understand it doesn't mean it's not of Earth, you know, like, yeah. The next day, there's a really uncomfortable scene where the, the Lord of the Manor is out hunting and the lady comes to Gowan in bed and yes. starts seducing him and this was where um and i think this had to be intentional you know we have the cameras being the most sort of overt anachronism that happens but in this scene she looks like she looks like she stepped out of a photo shoot five years ago like she's got her hair is styled in a way that looks like it involved a hot curling iron and gel and she's wearing these like very like these earrings that you could buy on etsy like now yeah um yeah, she, she looks very, very modern, and she comes in um, and starts seducing him, and she offers him a girdle that is identical to the one his mother made him. And so this, again, you know, if Morgan, you know, Morgan wants to challenge her son, but she doesn't want him to die, but also she wants to test him. <laughs> and so, you know, oh, shit, well, maybe the one thing Morgan didn't plan was those bandits stealing the girdle. So she now... Um, you know, make sure it gets back to him, and uh, and and that, that's what um, you're saying. The lady claims the, the, that she made that's it. That's what you're saying. The Uber narrative is, but but they, but it's not like plainly shown. It's just like, oh, she's wearing this now, and it's like, wait, hey, that looks like you know. Yeah, well, the the lady claims that she made it, but it is identical to the one yeah. that Morgan and her coven made. So it's kind of questionable. Um, but she. Uh, so she's like, basically, do you want this? Do you want this? And he's like, and then you, we, we slowly realize, like, she's jerking him off. Yeah, wh- what, she's like, actually, yes, yes. what she actually means when she says, do you want this? <laughs> right. So she's jerking him off, and he ends up coming on the girdle. Uh, yeah! And we see his... <laughs> We see the shot of like his spunk oh on his fist God. while he's holding the girdle. I was like, yo, this movie really went there. Because I had to take a second. I was like, wait, was that like the sweat from? No, because that was very milky white. That no, that's milky white like sweat. That's not milky white sweat. <laughs> like, oh my Lord. Like I had to take a second. I was like, was it like her, her, her juices? And like, oh no, he, wow. And he, he's like wrapped his hands in it. And she's like, oh man. Yeah, it was a little, little ugh. Um, oh man, this, this but, movie's raw. This movie's raw. And then, so he comes, and then he looks over, and the old lady is standing right there. Yeah. Oh, I forgot to say <laughs> that at one point earlier in the house, he's like kind of standing there, and the old lady like comes up to him, and I, I think she touches his face, and then walks away, and yeah. that's it. So he has kind of a moment with her. Yeah. And looking back, if you say that old lady was Morgan Le Fay, was his mother in disguise, you know, she wanted to check in with her son. 
Um, and then she's standing there watching him get jerked off. So that's... <laughs> like, are you going to take the band, my son? <laughs> and specifically, it's it, I think it's less about him betraying Essel um, because from a chivalric perspective, you know, he's got it. He's got a thing going on with Essel, but. Um, she's not his wife and she's not his lady right. because she's not a lady. Uh, um, and so the, the real issue is that he has betrayed the hospitality of his host. And that is the real, that's like the real big sin in, um, in chivalric romances right. is betraying a host is oh, a real bad one. Uh. Right. But. <laughs> But that dude clearly wanted that to happen. Right. And so, so he, it's like, so, I was like, wait, well, so was that, was this all part of the play? Was, so, <laughs> you know? so he sees the old lady who reminds him of his mom standing there watching him get a handy J and he jumps out of bed, yeah, no throws his that. clothes no on, <laughs> grabs the, uh, grabs the ax, which is standing in the corner, grabs the girdle, runs out, runs into the woods and, and the Lord is out there yeah. uh, on his horse Coming back from a hunt, there's a big dead boar, like a monstrous, like yeah, fucking okay. hippo-sized dead boar. Yeah, it's huge, and it's got like a, a couple of, you know, uh, spears in it. So the Lord's there and is like, hey, you know, I got something for you. You, you owe me something. And right. pulls him over and kind of grabs his face and kisses him. And the kiss is a very interesting moment because Gowan seems kind of into it. Um, and then when they pull apart, he just goes, unhand me. But it yeah. seems like... Like, he's not saying, like, he's not like, blah, blah, blah. he's like, he just says, like, unhand me. He genuinely looks hurt. Like, <laughs> he is it's like, oh, okay. I thought you were going to have a threesome with me and my wife, but right. I guess you don't want this fox. Yeah. Oh, and, and I forgot to say, but yeah, well, when he's at the Lord and Lady's house, the reason that he's able to stay a few days is they tell him that, um, <clears throat> they tell him that the Green Chapel is like, you know, uh, just a few miles away. Yeah. It's very close and he can stay for a few days yeah. and he'll make his appointment, which is Christmas day. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, we, we've got this last little bit where he's staggering towards the green chapel and the, the lighting gets very orange. Yeah. It's so it gets cool. like very, it's like very this orange fog. That's so mm-hmm. interesting that like, you know, it feels like, okay, we're shit's about to happen. And this is the scene where, you know, the Fox kind of comes up to him and is sort of like, it, it's, it actually starts to bark at him a little bit before he uh, heads up to the uh, before he gets into the boat that, that's going to take him to the place. And yeah, this is where the fox actually talks to him and is like, "Go that way, and you're." Doomed. Yeah, and the, the fox has the voice yeah. that was speaking at the very very beginning. Right, right, right. So it's like, oh shit! Wait, is the how what where is it now how did they who put the uh who, who gave the scroll to this fox and put it in its mouth so that it was yeah and <laughs> and and the fox is um the fox is trying to tell him to turn back interestingly so in the poem the words the fox speaks are almost word for word taken from something that in the poem it's just like a guy that is a servant of the lord the the like the lord um so in the poem, there's much less sexual tension and drama uh, between the Lord and Gowan. And the Lord is just like gets his three kisses and then goes, OK, thank you for the kisses. Now, uh, here's a servant. Go get go get your thing um, and sends him off with sort of a retinue. And one of the servants 
uh, as they near the Green Chapel is like, hey, this guy in there is really bad news. I'm not going in there. You shouldn't go in there either. I won't tell anybody. But it's just some guy. So changing it to this magical talking fox was a really interesting choice. Yeah, I mean, it definitely does add, you know, as a movie. It adds a bit more levity to it than just like, there's just some guy sitting yeah. outside well, and, fucking picking his and nose. The fox oh, is hey, also man, you shouldn't go in there. <laughs> yeah, and the fox is also clearly Morgan Le Fay. So, um, yeah, so, like, the the fox tries to talk him out of going, but he's like, no, I have to. And he gets in this little coracle, and he starts, um, and he starts uh, rowing into, and it's really amazing because, okay, so this is Christmas in Britain in a time period that was much closer to the last ice age than we are. And yet it looks like summery almost. It's very green. It's very, you know, verdant. Um, It doesn't seem to be particularly cold. Uh, And so he's, he's rowing through all this green and he, and he sees kind of a broken Celtic cross and, um, and gets to this, you know, ruin of a chapel and the green knight is sort of installed yeah, he's not moving. In the he's, chapel. Yeah, he's just like... Yeah, he's... There. And mm-hmm. so, you know, he's like, okay, I guess I am going to wait for Christmas. And so, like, he, like, sits there and waits, like, throughout the night. And, yeah, Christmas finally comes and you see him, like, slowly move. Uh, and, and, like, you can hear the, the sort of, like... Like, the sound... Yeah, the creaking and yeah, rustling. there's a specific, like, type of sound he makes that, like, that was the sound he made, like, at the beginning of the movie. So, he, like, you know, you hear that same feeling and you're like, oh, my God, what the fuck's gonna happen now? Where's it gonna move, you know? And, uh, so, you know, he just kind of comes, he's just like, you know, he just turns to him and says, good sir, is it Christmas? <laughs> and it's like, uh, yeah, yes. He's like, all right, well, let's do this. <laughs> you know, he comes <laughs> down, you know, uh, like, he, he gives him the axe and sort of, like, uh, Defatel gets on his gets on his knees, sort of puts his head down, and the Green Knight just has the heavy axe. He lifts, and, it, and then like Dev goes like, wait, 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 wait. Yeah, yeah, he has that. <laughs> also, um, I I also forgot to mention a moment really early on in the movie, like in the very first scene with him uh, and Essel. Where he, you know, she's basically forced him to get up and she's telling him you need to go to mass and you need to, you know, um, and he's and he's like hung over and tired and he's laying on the floor. He falls over something and falls on the floor and he's laying on the floor and going, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. And then that echoes later when he's like supposed to be submitting to his punishment and getting his head chopped off and he goes, I'm not ready. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that uh, I just thought about that parallel. That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah, because yeah, yeah, he, he like. He totally whiffs his, you know, courageous moment, right? And he goes like, wait, 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 wait. And it's like a, and he just looks at him, you know, the guy stops. And he goes like, is, is this all there really is? Is that, is this all that's going to happen? And Green Eyes is just like, what else ought there be? And it's like, yeah. Uh, uh, okay. <laughs> and like, I love how realistic it is, right? Like, it's like, this is a human being about to have their head chopped off. And it really is like, going like. I am scared as shit. Wait, stop. And he's like... Yeah, hey. and I think he points out at one point, because the Green Knight tries to shame him, and he's like, I didn't flinch away when you were about to chop my head off. I was yeah. like, yeah, but bro, you can put your head back on and walk away. Right. Like, <laughs> it's not the same. <laughs> like, 
it is not the same thing. <laughs> yeah, like give me a minute. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's like one year, ten years, it would have made a difference. I'd still be, you know, scared of shit. So he like grips into the dirt and really goes like, <sighs> okay. And like, and the way that they shoot the thing, it really looks like the the axe comes all the way down before it has to. Just like you know, you see him like do the axe, and then he just goes, oh, no, 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 and he like jumps away, and he goes like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, and it's like I can't do this, and he like just runs for his fucking life. Uh, fucking brave Sir Robin over here, <laughs> brave Sir Robin yeah. cowardly runs away, you know. Um, yeah. So yeah, he he runs all the way back to uh to the uh to the castle, makes it all the way back to there. The- through like the water he's he finds his horse his horse is standing there completely oh, yeah, right. decked out because the, the the bandits had stolen his horse and the horse is standing there like in good shape wearing all the bridle and yeah. everything so he jumps on the horse he rides back and we see it like it's like a you know everything flashing backward where he's riding 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 back through everywhere and he and this is where you see the um the scavenger again you see the scavenger kind of gaping at him in a field as he rides through and he ends up riding back to Camelot just looking absolutely wretched. So we see him, um, you know, his mom's taking care of him. And then he gets back with Essel. And we see him stooping Essel <laughs> with the green girdle still on. <laughs> like, he won't take it off. She gets pregnant. She has a baby. And then everybody takes the baby away from her because she's just a kitchen wench. And that right. baby is now royalty. That was the thing that was... Th- okay, so, yeah, because that big... Uh, uh... Fucking, uh, who, who's the creepy dudes in yeah, there? Yeah, the dude who looks like goddamn Rasputin comes in. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And he like, you know, puts his finger on the child, just some some sort of like thing where he like like rolls his finger along the child's head. And then, and I was trying to figure out like, wait, is that one of the you know uh the witches like guys? But no, it felt like it was just to be like, okay, and the, you are marked to come with us now. You're gonna stay there, you know, lowly kitchen winch, and here, here's some pieces of silver for you. You know, they just, like, chuck it at her bed to be like, there you go. <laughs> for your, yeah, for yeah, your, so, your so <laughs> they rip the baby away, which, first of all, like, it, it needs milk, like, you, like you're not gonna let yeah. it eat first? Oh my god, so they, she's, like, on the floor, like, <laughs> reaching to be like, wait, please. It's like, oh my god, Christ. that scene was so heart-wrenching. Give her a full hour, goddamn. Yeah. So so Essel has Essel has um Gowan's baby but the baby is taken away because the baby's royalty and she's not um and then Gowan ends up um being knighted by Arthur who is very very sickly at this point and then Arthur dies Gowan's crowned king Gowan marries some girl who's dressed like a cupcake <laughs> um <laughs> like she literally like that dress she's wearing looks like cupcake paper um he where he he marries this like you know like oh girl God, who seems to now, come from yes. a creepy order of nuns. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and she um so he marries her, and his and his son is growing up with him. His son's growing up royalty, um, but he's getting into wars. And then we see later there's a scene on a battlefield where the boy is like maybe fifteen maybe 14 or 15 and he's been killed like and and we see Gowan like with his son as his son's dying from a wound in battle um and then the people are starting to really rebel against him like people are throwing shit at him when he walks out of the castle and the and and that like and we see Essel kind of as an old lady looking at him reprovingly and and the the rage of the people starts building right um and And so the the princess has yeah yeah Yeah, the princess has a baby. 
Um, but you know, everything other than that, like everything's going really badly and, and his kingdom is revolting and everybody hates him. And it, we finally see him sitting in the throne room with his princess and his daughter. Um, and, and the, the servants are like barring the doors because the people are trying to knock the doors down and he's just sitting there. And as the people are about to knock the doors down, Oh, and his mother's standing there kind of like the, you know, the power behind the throne standing there looking sinister. And as the people are about to knock the doors down, he reaches into a hole in his cloak and finds his green, his green belt and starts pulling it out. And then as he pulls the belt off, his head plops off yeah. and rolls on the floor. Oh, yeah. It's like, and it's that moment you realize, like, oh, it really was protecting him. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And then, so it's like, oh, damn. And then he, we cut back to, because at this point, he's also looking quite old. And we cut back to young Gowan's face in the Green Chapel. It was all sort of a projection, yeah. just like we had earlier with him sort of envisioning his own skeleton when he's tied up by the bandits. Uh, um, so so yeah. now I was, we've come back to the moment. Yeah, because I was trying to figure out, like, wait, what was the thing that would have keyed you into, like, knowing that that was... A moment and not a you know dream sequence right because it's like i was trying to i'm trying to look right now actually because it seems like it's just like it's about to happen and he just goes no fuck this like yeah i mean i think that um i i i think that it is supposed to play like i don't think we're supposed to know as that's happening yeah. that that's not real like i think that is supposed to be a real possible future i think that it was supposed to fool you, but you've got that warning with the skeleton early on. I think yeah. that is our clue. Yeah. I don't think there's a clue within the scene. Yeah. I think the clue happens when he projects forward to being a skeleton. I get what you're saying. Like, it, yeah. It, it, so it's, it's a foreshadowed. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I don't think it's a cheat like saying elsewhere. You know, <laughs> I don't think it's a fuck you. That was all a dream. I don't think it's that because we do have that. It's just very, very subtle and very, very early on foreshadowing. Yeah. Um, and I wouldn't have even made that connection really with the skeleton. I read that somewhere. Somebody pointed out that that was like the first time that happens yeah. is the skeleton. And the second time that happens is the whole sequence uh -huh. with his whole life living out. So, and also it's the thing of like, I guess either way he gets his fucking head chopped off. So <laughs> well, yeah. So he goes, <clears throat> so then, you know, he's back in this moment and he's realized, Oh no, if I run away and I live without honor, my life is going to be terrible. Um, mm. and he, uh, and so then he says, okay, I'm really ready. And yeah, he says, I'm really, he says, okay. He says, now I'm ready. I'm ready now. And the green knight leans down and kind of strokes his face with a finger and says, well done, my brave knight. And we think for a moment, it's like, oh, okay, you passed the test. He's going to let you go. And then he goes, now, off with your head. And, like, well, and that's the end head. of the movie. Yeah, and it like, just smiles and it's like, it just kind of cuts. And you know, it cuts to, well, what looks like a uh, a chopped off piece of, uh, you know, tree. <laughs> right, <laughs> like a, a log with yeah. the green knight sort of crudely carved into it. And then it slowly sort of grows yeah, over with moss and yeah, lichen. Yeah, that was so cool the way they ended it like with that. that um, with that. Well, yes. <laughs> and now, okay, so, and you said it, 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 it ends differently in the poem, right? So in the poem, he doesn't take the green, the green belt off. Um, in the poem, and, and again, it's a little different too because he's already a knight. He doesn't have as much to prove. Right, right. But he leaves, he leaves the belt on 
and the um and the Green Knight chops him in the neck and he basically gets injured but not beheaded so in the poem the green knight tries to behead him and the axe only goes in a little bit and just basically cuts him and the and the and the green knight's like ah you're you're wearing that green belt aren't you well my wife gave it to you and i know all about it because i am burn lack to hout dessert uh, oh oh Burnlack de Hout Dessert is the you Lord's know, name in Burnlack the poem. Burnlack de Hout Dessert. Come on, kids. You remember that guy? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and and then he says that the old lady who lives in his house is Morgan the Fay, and that she basically set up the whole thing and turned him into the Green Knight to fuck with everybody. Oh, so um, this is like a, so, a Merry Wives of Windsor sort of situation where, like, oh, it was all a gay uh, game to play with you. Like, that's okay. Yeah, well, so because Morgan Le Fay is not Gawain's mother in the poem, she's not, you know, trying to, like, educate him or make him a man or anything. Mm. She just wants to fuck with King Arthur in his court. <laughs> so she turns this guy into the green man to go fuck with everybody, and that's all there is to it. Um, and so so that's pretty... And they all have a good laugh. And then... Um, and Gowan is somewhat ashamed, and he says, oh, I've been a coward, and you know what? I'm going to keep wearing this green thing just to show what a coward I am because I, I deserve it, and I deserve this mark of shame. And he goes back, and he tells the story to everybody at the court, and he's like, yeah, and I'm going to keep wearing this to prove what an asshole, you know, I'm a coward. And then everybody is like, cool, we're all going to start wearing green things. That's cool. Let's all wear those. <laughs> what a story. <laughs> and just like <laughs> So, uh, so yeah, so that's what happens in the poem. Okay, so um, th- th- but th- th- there was a, a, a version I saw. I looked it up on Wikipedia just a little bit, and I'd seen something about how there was a version where it's like the Green Knight uh, represents uh, some sort of, yeah, the marriage between the, the Christian and the pagan in that he's like this sort of like, you know, good thing that actually spares his life and, you know, something to that effect. Well, in the poem, The Green Chapel, he specifically says, when Gowan finds the Green Chapel, he's like, oh, this place is is the devil. The devil must say his mass. Yeah. This place is the evilest chapel I've ever seen. Right, right, right. Yeah. But when the mysterious night, this is what it says on Wikipedia, but when the mysterious night allows Gowan to live, Gawain immediately assumes the role of a penitent uh, to a priest or a judge in a genuine chapel. Oh, so one thing that I did not notice, I read about this later that the director mentioned that apparently there is a moment in the in the Green Chapel where you see the Green Knight's face take on the features of pretty much every different character. I didn't notice it. I did not see that, but um, but that's something to look out for. Uh, if you're watching it again, fascinating. Um, so here's the thing. So my, and basing this again, both on sort of my own interpretation, having seen it twice now and on stuff that David Lowry has said, I think, you know, and it's, of course, it's like, a you know, this is a like, uh, fuck it. What's that? Inception. It's like an inception ending where you're not, you know, the whole point is that it's ambiguous. I get yeah, that. Yeah. But my interpretation of what's happening is that he gets beheaded, but is then able to put his head back on and continue living because the whole reason his mother's doing this is to try to make a man out of him. Right. She had to have some idea of what would happen. She doesn't want him to die. Um, and as you know, he points out at some point, it's not really a fair comparison yeah. to say, well, you got to behead me if you can walk away from it. Yeah. Oh. So, um, but yeah, I mean, the, this was definitely worth a second watch. I, I'm really, 
uh, I'm really glad I had an excuse to. Like you said, in, in, the, in what it seems like the original, original poem is, it's like, no, there is no magical entity. It was all just a joke. And with this movie that we're seeing here, which is supposed to feel like, right, because, you know, 2021 film, this is supposed to be showing, like, the rough, gritty reality of what the past is. It's like, you know, if they were to do that, they would honestly be showing that more silly ending. But for our interpretation of how, you know, we have to add weight to something that has to be this, you know, period piece, like... You know, it it, it, it it can't just end like that. You know, we got to do something more. And so, therefore, him as the artist kind of, like, plays a sort of, a, you know, the director and writer of the film. Like, they play an actual really cool role in, you know, being the next uh, version of, you know, bending and, and formulating the story for this new generation, right? Like, that's what I think is, is fascinating as I'm listening to, you know, you talk about how the versions change because, you know, sometimes sometimes people will be like, oh, to change something is bad. Like, how dare you change this? Because now it doesn't have the element of the story. But it's like, but, you know, the storyteller's trying to do something different now. You know what I mean? Like, Right, like what's, yeah, I mean, if you're going to be... And merit and value in doing that, you know, like... Right, yeah, I mean, that's... Like, what's the point of making a new version if you're not going to change anything? Right. And I like that. Um, I like the cheekiness of of having the a character say that she changes stories if she thinks they could be improved. <laughs> like I said, this is this is a, uh, it's fascinating. Like as much as it sort of you know tries to be faithful to to that feel of the old you know uh, of this you know old Arthurian time. Like there are you know little cheeky spots where it kind of like goes like. But this is still a movie made by someone in the 21st century. So this is how we're going to yeah. make this. Well, and I, would, I would also say, like, it doesn't even really strike me as trying to be all that faithful to, like, any kind of historicity. Because, like, the, you know, the language used, but also, like, the the aesthetics, the clothing. Um, the clothing, like, the witch coven wears looks like a thousand years too late like literally it looks about a thousand years too late um you know the the architecture is very interesting and strange um and and i think and you know again even just like having the crowns that look like halos um you know i think he was much more interested in uh you know riffing on this and creating an interesting fantasy world yeah as opposed Um, to just trying to be like Oh, this is just what this looks like. Let's just one to one map it. Like, yeah, right. To- which is so it's which is part of why it's so much more interesting than if it had just been a sort of like you know mud and goats type of <laughs> of you know realistic quote unquote yeah. medieval story. So it's yeah. it is it is a really good like like you like we said at the beginning like yeah this isn't just a yeah mud and goats like sort of movie. Through how it works uh, on a deeper narrative level, but just in the main way that the movie is presented, like it doesn't just feel like, oh, well, I, I could just watch a whatever Knights of the Round Table movie that came out uh, 20 years ago on uh, on PBS or whatever, and what's the difference? Like, no, there is a feel of the grit and weight to this that is actually really fucking good. And even even with the ending, like, I still enjoy it just for like the questions it makes you ask about, you know, the ideas of honor. And you know what I'm saying? Like in duty and all of these sorts of things, right? Like I love how the way the narrative is crafted, it it, like by that nature wants, it begs you to ask these questions about, you know, what it means to be honorable in the society, you know, and this versus that. Because yeah, like on the very simple level, like it was just gonna be like, 
dude, you were just going to go here and I was just going to chop your head off. Yeah, it was really that simple. Like, I really love the humanity in that line. We're just like, what else do you think there was going to be? No, there's no honor. Yeah, there's and- no trumpets that's going to play. I'm just going to chop your head off, you know? <laughs> and I and I love that, um, you know, a story where the, you know, in the original poem, the Gowan's mother is not even a character. Like, she doesn't appear at all. She's just the king's sister. She doesn't even really have a name, I don't think. Um and uh and and that the mother is not only like made into a specific character but that the whole thing is about the relationship between mother and son and about like getting my shitty my my shitty wastrel son to become a to <laughs> to make something of himself like what a what a wonderfully specific and human and real <laughs> story right you know my deadbeat son um, needs to get off his ass <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah, and Dev Patel is just wonderful, and like the whole cast is really, really, incredible. really good. Like you just, it, he is, su- he has such a great expressionful face, even though a beard is covering up so much of it. <laughs> you know, like you're just try- like you're yeah. always looking at his face and studying like how he's really like thinking and reacting to what people are saying to him. You know, like you want to look at him and see him as he does it because he he projects those emotions even in small little things like just that one little moment that I thought was one of my favorite just character moments where like with that conversation was being had between um uh the lord of that house and him where he's just like uh so why are you doing this quest and he's just like honor and he like he genuinely doesn't say it as if he's just like honor oh I don't know like like it's a genuine question like he's saying it like in conversation like just oh I was just thinking this is just common conversation honor and then when the guy stops and goes like wait are you asking me that and then he has to have that double back like oh no no like this is like I loved seeing that little mini journey there of the character like having to realize like oh shit if I'm a knight I gotta I gotta be respectful yes I, of course I said that with yeah. my chest you know like but but like starting off on that real place of him being the reality of who he is, which is like he isn't really sure of himself. So he's like, uh, honor. I, yeah, I guess that's why I'm doing it. You know, so it's just yeah, yeah. No, it's it's fantastic. I I if you haven't seen the movie, watch it. But also, if you haven't seen the movie, why did you listen to this? What's wrong with you? But if you haven't seen the if you if you haven't seen the movie more than once, like I really recommend watching it again because there are so many things that. Uh, you know, I, I found I was able, like, I was just so sort of bowled over and shocked by what was going on the first time I watched it because, like, it's aesthetically, it's shocking. It's just very, very, like, whoa, what's happening? It feels like, you know, having your, your face blown in um, and getting to sort of sit back and know what was happening. I was able to get a lot more of the humor uh, this time and the little cleverness, you know, the little bits of cleverness. So, uh, definitely recommend watching this one twice. Yeah, for sure, for sure. This has been the Review a New Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to hear all other exclusive episodes, be sure to check them out on Patreon at patreon.com slash rapcritic, where you can also, of course, get access to Rap Critic episodes early as well as uh, vote on episodes and join the Rap Critic Patreon. Uh, plus, if you enjoy the show, please rate us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever your podcasts are listened to. It's super helpful and exposes us to other people trying to find content like this on the ever-changing algorithm out there. And you know, look at the, look at that. We did a recent movie. That, uh, we're all current and shit, uh, as opposed to doing like movies from like 20 years ago. So that's... You like this algorithm? Uh, I mean, it was like a... 
you know, movie about like Arthurian legend. So I'm not sure how how hot that is on the uh, <laughs> on the internet. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure it's pretty hot. <laughs> at least this one is. But yeah, uh, we we appreciate that. Show us some love. Uh, donate to the Kofi, you know, for requests. But also just you know, if you just want to help out the show, that it's super appreciated. Uh, definitely follow to keep up with the show. You know what I'm saying. And until next time, I'm DJ. I'm Evan. And green sleeves was all my joy. And oh, green sleeves was my delight. Green sleeves, my heart of gold. And you, but my lady, green sleeves.